I was at a retreat two weeks ago, and I was meeting um, these pastors, Presbyterian pastors from around our country. And one of the men who's in my small group, Cruz, who I can't wait to go visit because he lives in San Juan, just outside of San Juan, Puerto Rico, um, was reminding me of the one time I've been to Puerto Rico. And what was interesting to me was, even though this was uh, probably about 20, 21 years ago, one of the things that I remember was this time when Christina and I, we, we were very poor. We were there because we were young, newly married, and we had been given free airline vouchers. And so we decided to go as far as we thought they could take us. And at the time, that happened before we could, we wanted to go somewhere more. Never been there. So we went there, and um, what, I think it was the first night or the second night, we decided to walk out. And we were staying in this little, you know, kind of cheap hotel off the beach. And then there's these, all these giant casino hotels. Puerto Rico allows gambling. And so there's all these giant casino hotels on the beach. But there were, we couldn't find beach access. So we thought, we're going to go through one of the casinos. And so I put on what for me was nice at that time, which was a polo shirt to go with my cargo shorts and, you know, sandals. And so we're walking up towards one of these casinos. And as we're walking down this long, you know, manicured drive to get to this casino entrance, there's these two big, very big burly men standing in suits in the front. And as we got closer, they said, oh, I'm sorry, sir, but you cannot enter without um, pants and a jacket. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so we had to turn and go back. And it's odd to me that that still comes back to me. That's one of the things I remember. And I was thinking, why is that? And the reason was because when I, what I felt in that moment as a young man was not that I had forgot a, a jacket, which I didn't even own at the time, but the fact that I felt like they were saying, you're not good enough to be here. And that's pretty mild, to be honest, for a white man's experience compared to what I hear from some of our brothers and sisters who've experienced racial forms of ways of saying, you don't belong here, you shouldn't be here. But I was thinking about how that made me feel, even though they were saying on the outside, it's, it's just your clothes that are a problem. It made me feel like there was something wrong with me, that I wasn't accepted and I wasn't allowed. I've shared this story before too, but it, I will probably repeat it as long as I'm a preacher because it was a very teachable moment for me. When I was in youth group, when I was a young man in high school, I had a friend who I had been you know, around for many years in school and in youth group settings. His name was Dylan, and he was beginning to walk a pretty terrible path in terms of decisions he was making, both in terms of moving away from his family and um, other things. And we had all been praying for him, and um, one day he decided to come to the Wednesday night service we had at our church. He never did anything but youth group. He didn't want anything to do with God. He was a youth group because it was fun. And one day, on his own, he showed up to our Wednesday night service. Now, our Wednesday night service was kind of like the service for the, the, the serious people. Because, I mean, you got to be pretty serious to come on Wednesday night. And we would dig into the Bible. We did, like, topical preaching on Sundays, but this was digging into the Bible. And he showed up, and he came and he sat down. And my friend and I are, like, elbowing each other. And we're, like, trying not to be too excited that he's there, you know. And a short while later, one of our ushers walks over to him and leans over and says... Uh, something to the effect of, you know, you're in, in God's house, you need to take off your hat, son. Because he had a baseball cap on. And so he did, he all, you know, took off his hat, and he sat there for about two more minutes and got up and left. And I never saw him in a church service after that again, at least not at that church. 
And the message, the not so subtle message that he was receiving was not just that he had a hat on, he shouldn't have his hat on, but was that um, somehow he was not worthy, that the way he was was polluting that place. Now, I know that those from the older generation see this differently. But I, again, I think the message that he was receiving was maybe not necessarily the message that the well-intentioned elder thought he was giving. Have you ever been made to feel like you were in somehow, some way dirty or unworthy of being in God's presence because of something you've done, because of who you are? Or have you ever perhaps been guilty of putting your own religious tradition in practice ahead of loving people in your life. Let's hear this word from God from Matthew chapter 15. Then Pharisees and legal experts came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why are your disciples breaking the elders' rules handed down to us? They don't ritually purify their hands by washing before they eat. And Jesus replied, Why do you break the command of God by keeping the rules handed down to you? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and the person who speaks against father or mother will certainly be put to death. But you say, If you tell your father or mother, Everything I'm expected to contribute to you, I'm giving to God as a gift, then you don't have to honor your father or mother. So you do away with God's law for the sake of the rules that have been handed down to you. Hypocrites. Isaiah really knew what he was talking about when he prophesied about you. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. Their worship of me is empty because they teach instructions that are human rules. Jesus called the crowd near him and said, Listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that contaminates a person in God's sight. It's what comes out of the mouth that contaminates the person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended by what you just said? Jesus replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father didn't plant will be pulled up. Leave the Pharisees alone. They're blind people who are guides to blind people. But if a blind person leads another blind person, they will both fall into a ditch. Then Peter spoke up, Explain this riddle to us. Jesus said, Don't you understand? Don't you know that everything that goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what goes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And that's what contaminates a person in God's sight. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual sins, thefts, false testimonies, and insults. These contaminate a person in God's sight. But eating without washing hands doesn't contaminate in God's sight. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we don't have these food and purification rules any longer. But we know that this word is still for us. And so we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would illuminate our minds and our hearts so that we may see and hear clearly 
how you want to work in us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Did you notice at the beginning of this that the religious teachers make a side trip to come ask Jesus this question? As we're moving through Matthew's gospel and we're dealing, doing this series on true religion, and we're also moving through the, the Lenten season up towards Easter, towards Good Friday, the crucifixion of Jesus and Easter, the resurrection, that we pay attention to the things that are happening that he's saying in Matthew's gospel that leads to his death. And this is one of those. Last, last week, the one we looked at, it ended with, we were talking about Sabbath law, and it ended with them saying they were thinking about a way to kill him. <laughs> or arrest him, I think it was. I don't remember which one. And, and now, you know, the disciples are pointing out, uh, Jesus, you really offended those powerful people. Did you know that? So this is what's going on. Jesus is talking about God's heart in the law, and people are not happy about it. So these religious teachers, these Pharisees and these scribes, they, they come from a long way, well maybe not a long ways away, but they come from a ways away to ask Jesus' this question about hand washing. I mean, the first thing I would say is, did you really come over here just to ask me about hand washing? There's something more going on here, isn't there? And let's just talk about that hand washing thing, because, you know, that seems a little odd to us. We go... Jesus and his disciples didn't wash their hands before meals? Ooh, gross, right? This isn't about germs. That's not, they didn't have an understanding of that like we do. But what they did have was they had a tradition that had been passed down through the oral teachings. And the tradition had to do with hand washing as a way of purifying yourself from being unclean. Because according to the Old Testament law, there were many things in everyday life that you could come in contact with that could make you unclean. Now this started as a priestly thing. This is what the priests in the temple did. But eventually, those who were serious about it said, well, if they're doing that, why shouldn't we do that at home? And it becomes passed down to be a tradition so that if you were a religious person and you were serious about following God's law, you would do this, even if you didn't think you could touch anything unclean, just in case. In fact, if you were wealthy enough and we find these in, our, in the archaeological excavations that they found. If you're wealthy enough and you had a big house, you might even put in a little pool. Not for doing lap swimming, but a pool for purifying yourself from this uncleanness so that every morning you can get up and go in that water so you can start clean and pure. And then every time you came back from being out in public with all those dirty, unclean people and unclean things, spiritually unclean, you know, not just like hands unclean, but they'd see spiritually unclean things. You could come and you could purify yourself so that you could be clean from all of that dirtiness and all of that sin. And so people at Jesus' time, if they're really serious, they would do this washing just in case. Just in case I contaminated myself spiritually, I'm going to do this. But Jesus' disciples are apparently not observing this tradition. And we see in other places that Jesus gets in trouble for not doing this before a meal. So, um, in today's vernacular, we would probably say that people were looking at Jesus' disciples as being a little bit too liberal. They weren't being serious enough about the traditions that were being passed down. And by the way, I have to say this, because it's so important as we get into this text. And I say this all the time, but I need to hear it, we need to hear it. The religious teachers and the religious rulers who are coming to Jesus, they're not the villains. I know they become the villains in many ways because they're instrumental in Jesus' death. But understand what's behind what they're doing. 
at least initially there was something good. They said, we want to be so serious about being obedient to God and being God's people that if there's a chance we're breaking some law, then we're going to institute traditions to help us protect ourselves against that. That, that was the motivation behind that. That's how it began. So when we read about the Pharisees and religious leaders, we have to understand, and I said this last week, I'll probably say this a lot during the series, that they're talking, we're looking at people that are more like us than anyone else. Because we are all sitting here on a Sunday morning, on a beautiful, sunny, northwest Sunday morning. I mean, how many people do that anymore? We're doing this because we're serious about God and our relationship with God, aren't we? So we're more like them than anybody else. But Jesus exposes the hypocrisy of how this is being applied. And to do that, he talks about another practice that they have. And in this case, it's calling out in the Hebrew, Corbin, which means dedicated to God. It's a gift to God. And so real quickly, this is how this would work. As far as we know, as far as we can tell, how this worked was um, if you were a son, because usually you had to have be a man to have... Um, authority over the money at that time. So if you were a son and you were really upset with your parents, you could just call out Corbin, which means dedicated to God. I don't have any more responsibility to you, mom and dad, financially to take care of you or to help you. Everything I have is now God's. So I will get to enjoy it for my life, but when I'm gone, it goes to God. And by doing that, they said that, you know, you have now made an oath to God. And so what happened is sometimes... Probably often, I would guess, the kids regretted that. You know, that was done in rashness. That was done out of anger or whatever, bitterness or who knows. And so they would go to the rabbis or go to the priests and say, we want to annul this. We want to be released from our oath. And so they, they looked and they said, no, actually, according to the law, and you can see this in place in the Old Testament, an oath to God trumps anything else. Therefore, you have to obey that. You cannot give your stuff back to your parents or to your family. It's now a gift to God. It's dedicated to God. And so Jesus calls us out and he says, do you not see that by doing this, you're breaking an even greater commandment? It's in the Ten Commandments. God told you, you should honor your mother and father. But because of your traditions and your interpretations now, you're letting people out of that. So he's calling out this hypocrisy. The disciples are going to ask for a little bit more clarification on this in a minute. But Jesus is going to give this basic further interpretation. Um, in one sense, when he says, well, okay, I'm jumping around a little bit. Help, let me I'll try to make this a little more clear. So he, he also goes and he talks about these, uh, these food laws, right? Because that's what the initial problem was. They're, they're doing this unclean thing. And Jesus says, whatever goes into your mouth and our translation gets closer. Our, our old English translations didn't say this quite as clearly. But whatever goes into your mouth goes through your body and into the toilet. They didn't like that in the Bible. But that's what the word means. The latrine, the sewer. Okay? It's, it just passes through. But the things that come out of your mouth are what make you unclean. And some of the other gospel writers say, in the statement, Jesus declared all foods clean. You know, that the, the food laws were gone. Matthew doesn't make that statement. But the disciples are going to ask for more clarification on this. And so here's what I want to say. We have a lot of traditions in our church today. We may not be aware of them. 
And when I say church, I'm talking about larger church or the Christian church. Things that we have received that we have been told pollute us spiritually. Practices that contaminate us. And you've probably experienced others, but here's just a list of some of the ones I've experienced. These things, I've been told, pollute you spiritually. Drinking alcohol or being around those who are drinking. Smoking tobacco or being around those who smoke. Swearing or being around those who swear. Wearing a hat in church in a building or during worship building. I have um, done some mission work in Mazatlan, Mexico. And I have at least on three occasions made the same mistake of walking into this beautiful cathedral in Mazatlan with my baseball cap on. And totally forgetting to take it off because you're walking out in this hot sun. And so at least three times a priest has had to come over and ask me to remove, remove my cap. And I was totally embarrassed because I knew I, I should have done that, but I didn't. Right? Or not dressing nice enough for worship. There are many churches, including Presbyterian churches, where preaching and teaching without wearing a robe or a stole or a tie at least, or slacks, or a jacket. And by the way, I've received some of these comments when people come here, you're the pastor, you're not in a jacket. You know, that that would be a disgrace, that that would be a shame upon God's word. Be a pollution. Or not praying and blessing your food before a meal. <laughs> I'll never forget when I took my first ministry position in Marysville, and I was coming as a youth pastor, and I had just spent come straight off of 21 full days up in Canada fighting fires and just being filthy, dirty, and just eating whatever we had when we had it. And so I go from that and like, I mean, it was a day turnaround. And my first day in the office at the church and um, the pastor was going to leave. He was going to leave right away. And he said, let's go get lunch. We go to get lunch. And we sit down at the subway and I grab my sandwich and start eating. And he goes, he gets his and goes, um, can we pray? And I was like, oh my, I was so embarrassed. He's, he's going to fire me, right? Right on the spot. <laughs> he's hired this new youth pastor and he's not even holy enough to pray before he eats a Subway sandwich, right? Other things, I've been told that pollute us spiritually. Not raising your hands during worship. I've been part of worship traditions where if you didn't raise your hand, people would think there's something wrong. Or you're not, your heart's not right with God. Not having the Lord's Prayer memorized. <laughs> When I first came to a Presbyterian church and did the Lord's Prayer, I was pretty embarrassed. I didn't know the Lord's Prayer. And now there's so many different versions, it's hard to keep track. Or watching a rated R movie. Or reading unacceptable books. I remember when I was a little kid, I was told that Wrinkle in Time was unacceptable. Now it's considered a classic, I think, by many. Um, Harry Potter, when it first came out, there was a big scandal when I was doing youth ministry. That some of our kids were reading Harry Potter. Enough that some people in the church wanted to leave over that, that our church would allow that kind of thing. Unacceptable. There's witchcraft in there. There's wizards in there. It's bigger things. Having sex before marriage. That somehow you've been polluted and damaged. And I come out of the years of the purity movement and the church when a well-intentioned message of this idea that you should, you know, not be sexually active until you find yourself in that covenant relationship with your, your partner for life. And... Um, a lot of especially young women were deeply damaged by that message because they were told if you fail in this area, you're somehow like, hey, this is examples I have heard, you're somehow like stained white clothing. It'll never be completely washed out. Some man might love you, but you've damaged yourself. And that was the message that a lot, a whole generation of 
young women, we're told, in the church. Or even simply having um, different sexual urges or attractions, being attracted to the same sex. That somehow those thoughts are polluting you and you're somehow not good enough for God. These are the messages that many people, and I said we could go on, couldn't we? So let's go on to the disciples' question. Peter, of course it's Peter. Peter's the one who always jumps out and says the things that everyone else is thinking. Peter says, Jesus, explain this riddle to us. Explain what you're talking about here. And Jesus said in verse 16, and maybe we can go back to that, Calvin. Can we go back to verse 16? Oh, he, he already put it down. That's fine. Jesus Jesus said, don't you understand yet? Don't you know that everything that goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer, but what comes, goes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And that's what contaminates a person in God's sight. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual sins, thefts, false testimony, and insults. These contaminate a person in God's sight, but eating without washing hands doesn't contaminate a person in God's sight. Again, I love Jesus' directness about how it just goes in your mouth and goes right out. We all experience this every single day. It's an image we can all hold on to. But he says what comes out of your mouth contaminates or pollutes, is the translation I would use. It pollutes you in a different way because it's coming from your heart. It's coming from the place deep inside of you. Notice that our words don't end up in the sewer. Do they? Our words, especially our hurtful words, end up embedded in other people's lives. That's why many of us, you know that childhood riddle, sticks and stones, break my bones, but words will never hurt me? That is such a lie, and we all know it. Because there are things that people have said to us that we can't shake and we can't get rid of because they get embedded and they're harmful and they're hurtful. All of us can tell those stories. And just a bit of advice, if I may, and I'm still learning this myself. But if, if you have some of that, I would just encourage you to allow the owner of those words to have those words back. They're not your words. They're their words. They'd say a lot more about the person who said them than they say about you. One time I was told you should think about how you file those words. And I think about this in terms of uh, my computer now. You know, I've got cloud drives and I have these folders all over I have folders for my kids where I pop things in that, you know, belong to them from school or whatever that I need to hold on to. So the question is, where are you going to stick those words? Are you going to put those in your own personal folder? Are you going to let those be in their folder? Because those truly belong to them. Okay. Moving on. So Jesus does give a laundry list of actions, of that things that do come from the heart. Things that do contaminate us spiritually and pollute us. And from that, we learn something. We have got this all backwards. We think that if we focus on our sin, and if we can just will ourselves into obedience to God's laws and God's commands, that we'll be made clean in God's sight. But these sins, these sins that Jesus lists as other things, these are only the symptom of something that's going on inside of us. Just the outward expression of something that's going on inside. Do you see how Jesus points to that? So in other words, think about doctors. When you go into the doctor, they don't treat the symptoms, do they? 
I mean, sometimes they'll give you some things to help with the symptoms, but they want to know what is causing this. You know, if you come in with a rash all over your body, they don't just go, oh, I can give you something that makes that stop itching. Okay, see you later. You know, it's like, you want to know, why did I get this rash? What's causing this? How do I prevent this? Do I need something else? Is there is a sign on the outside of something going on deeper on the inside? And so doctors, they don't just treat the symptoms. They, they want to give you this cure. They want to de- deal with the whole you. In 12-step programs that deal with addictions, they have learned this. And they all practice this. If you just deal with the alcoholism... You're not dealing with what caused someone to go into alcoholism. What is it that makes them want to quiet their life with drugs and alcohol? And you could do, they do this with all kinds of addictions. Eating addictions is the same. What is it that makes you eat so much food? What is it that you're trying to deal with? So you have to deal with what's down in the heart in order to change the behavior. It's inside out, not outside in. Jesus told a religious leader one time, he said, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. Of course, his response was, "Uh, I'm pretty big. How do I go back into my mom and be born again? How does that work exactly? And Jesus is pointing to a spiritual reality that uh, we have picked up that image as a church and we practice that in baptism. This idea that change can only be accomplished through the work of Jesus Christ. If we just deal with the stuff on the outside and the the sins that we're breaking on the outside, and we don't allow God to change us from the inside out, then it's not going to work. Rather than looking at the many ways that you fail in your spiritual life, Why not spend time with God asking this question? Why do I do that? Why do I do that? Why do I feel the need to lie to people? Why do I I feel the need to say hurtful things to people that I love? Why do I feel the need to be so angry at everyone else? I mean, we could go on and on, but... What's a deeper question? And just, and just invite God into that and see what happens. I think often you will find, as I have often found, that what you're actually doing is you're, you're using these other things that we call you know, sins. We're trying to fill these spaces in our life that only God can fill. And in doing so, we fill it with something false and something fleeting. So sit with God on this, and then allow God to work on your heart and change it. And it's, it's heart surgery. And that's, that's pretty dangerous, I'm not going to lie to you. You know, allowing God to do this work, you're going you're gonna to have some surgery done. There's going to be some things that probably need to be cut out. But if you allow it, then God can give you that life you need to run the marathon. This, this thing we call our spiritual journey, our spiritual life. Let's pray. Father, first I want to come in confession because I know that oftentimes we've become so used to the traditions that we have as Christians that 
we might not even realize the times that we have made others to feel like they're not acceptable to you. So God, I ask first that you would help us to be aware if that ever happens in our life. And second, I ask you to forgive us. Knowing that you can overcome that. You can do a work in people's life. Even when we, your church, fails. Lord, I also come to you and I invite you to be doing this heart surgery work inside of us where it's needed. God, we do want to be obedient. We do want to be your people and do what's right. But we also don't want to be so focused on the ways we fail that we never ask the question, why am I behaving this way? Lord, we know this takes miraculous power. It's not something that can be done on our own strength. So we invite you to be a part of that work in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name.